I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, James, it's a very special edition of the podcast. We've got our second Maple Leaf ever uh, on the podcast. We've got Jack Campbell. So, Jack, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks, guys, for having me. So, Jack, you said you're going on a long drive. Where are you headed off to today? Oh, I just kind of like driving around, killing some time. I get my workouts in nice and early and then, uh, you know, just kind of rip around and get some fresh air and, you know, that's about it. <laughs> it's it, it's funny you say that because I, I actually find that's like kind of a sense of normalcy when you get in the car and you just go somewhere and it kind of feels like nothing's changed a little bit because that's still something that you can do and and the traffic's not as bad as it as it has been in the past. So exactly, I just think it's relaxing, you know, listen to a podcast or listen to some music and just kind of having a little alone time. It's nice. Do you have like a, a favorite podcast, Jack? Um. I've been doing a little Joe Rogan lately, just like I'm a okay. big military supporter. So like he has some uh, special forces operators on there and different, um, you know, different people. It's pretty interesting. Um, so I've been doing a little bit of that. Um, pretty much music, though. I'm, I love country music and just kind of relaxing. And um, yeah, it makes me feel good. Where, where are you spending the downtime? Are you in California or Michigan or... I am back at my place in Los Angeles, so uh, Manhattan Beach. So it's pretty, pretty laid back community, and uh, sun's out, so it's it's been pretty hmm. nice. Yeah, everyone in Toronto's jealous of of the players that are in uh, in the nice warm spots right now. So um, yeah, that sounds that sounds like a nice place to to be hunkered down for a bit. Yeah, it, it's been nice. I just have all my workout stuff here, so it's been. Uh, little more efficient i was in uh in a hotel room during the season when i got the trade um you know appreciate the leaves set me all up and it was it was awesome to experience the city and, and everything and i'm really looking forward to getting back uh, in the near future and um but yeah just having my own place here it's, it's been nice to you know to get back you know cooking again and stuff like that well so jack you mentioned being in la have you been watching the last dance the michael jordan doc you know what? I missed it this Sunday, but I am going to watch it probably tonight. Actually, I, I'm a big fan, so I love basketball, and uh, it's been it's been really fun to watch. Well, so I'm curious. Just be you will like episodes five and six. They're amazing. But I'm curious. I was thinking last night. Have you ever like had a teammate like Michael Jordan at any point in your career who is like that driven, that intense? Like, does anybody come to mind? Oof, that's a great question. I mean, it's hard to compare anybody to Michael Jordan, um, but I know what you're saying for sure. I'd say, let me think here. I mean, just the short time I've been here, I think the closest person that I've seen is uh, John Tavares. I mean, he is like as serious as it gets, but he also has a great personality, you know, when it's time to relax and have some fun. But like just as far as... Um, you know, I think when you're willing to sacrifice, um, you know, all the things a lot of people don't want to and, and totally commit to being the best at your craft. I mean, 
I think that's what John brings. And um, he just brings like the work ethic and the commitment to nutrition and um, things like that, that really stick out to me. So, um, you know, I thought about that before I watched the last dance with John. And then after watching, um, you know, episodes one through four, he's definitely the closest, I think. Have you been able to like crack him a little bit, like make him laugh, like break him out of, Cause he, I remember some of his old like uh, summer workout buddies. They told me that they used to call him iRobot because like he was just like a robot with like everything he did. Like you see him outgoing. Have you been able to kind of break him now and again? You know, it's funny because I I do like to uh, you know I'm pretty goofy and I feel like I get along great with everybody and John included. But I'm definitely a little more reserved still around around JT. Yeah. <laughs> You know, being the captain and he's such an amazing player, I still like have so like kind of just respect uh, who he is and what he's done. So I don't want to um, be too much, you know, too soon. So, I mean, uh, I haven't I mean, we've had some good dinners together and some good laughs, but, you know, I'm still getting comfortable for sure around him. Uh, Jack, you joined the team in midseason. You weren't really with them for that long. You only played six games. How did you yep. become so close with your teammates so quickly? Like it just seemed like you you fit in really, really well, and 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 some of the players who didn't know you before really gravitated towards you, and you got you built friendships really quickly. How did how did that come about in Toronto? I mean, truthfully, I just think it's a credit to them because they're just such great character guys, and um, I think just the common goal of putting the team first and, and wanting to win. And we have a really competitive group as far as, um, you know, we have high goals and we expect to, to do well. Um, so I think my demeanor uh, meshed well with theirs and um, kind of been really fun to get to know everybody. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to continuing that in the near future. One of the things that uh, your teammates say about you and, and and even the fan base has started saying about you is you just seem like such a nice guy. Have you gotten that before? Is that, is that, is that how you try and go about life is just, just being, uh, I mean, just the way you are so friendly and, and personable all the time. I mean, I appreciate that. I uh, <laughs> kind of was just raised, you know, I had some good uh, role models, my parents and my sis older sister, she's uh, just turned 30. And uh, they're like the nicest people I, I've ever met. So I've kind of just tried to follow their lead a little bit. But I mean, I can always get better and be nicer, I guess you could say. So, uh, you know, it definitely means a lot that the boys and fans think think that of me, but uh, always looking to improve for sure. <laughs> well, so obviously coming to a new team is a big thing. Um, but you knew some guys from before, obviously from LA, Jake Muzzin, Kyle Clifford came with you, but you have the past connection with Kyle Dubas from the Sioux. When, when the trade happened, like, did you guys reminisce at all about like the trade and like it kind of happening again in a different way in the NHL? Um, the only thing that we talked about was um, when, when he called me the night I got traded and I was like, you know, so excited. And, um, you know, it was just crazy, like just pretty shocking. Um, had no idea I was on the block, but when it happened, I was, you know, I told him because when he traded for me in the Sioux, uh, you know, things didn't work quite as well as we had hoped. And I basically told him like, look, it's not going to happen like that again. We're going to, we're going to succeed and do great things. And he's like, Jack, I don't want you to compare that experience with, uh, with this one, you know, um, you didn't let me down the first time. Basically, we're going to do great things this time, too. So he was just really he's always just such a great guy. And I just love Kyle's demeanor and his um, his intensity and just everything about him. He, he's he's a great general manager and a great person. Um, just lucky to be around him some more. Were you surprised that he traded for you? Because I know. I mean, that that was kind of a controversial trade that happened back in junior. And I, I wonder if like a lot of GMs just wouldn't do it maybe for like karma reasons or something. So were you surprised that Kyle went ahead and did that? Yeah, I mean, whew, that it's pretty loaded. I mean, back then that was, you know, nine years ago, maybe. So, I mean, I think I've, I've proven uh, I've gotten over kind of some struggles and stuff, but I think he just saw... Um, maybe the character side as well as the ability and uh, thought it would be a good match. So I'm glad he ended up 
treated for me again and definitely won't let him down that's for sure well jack when you look back like kind of on that the the early part of your career now that you're kind of deeper into it like you've established yourself in the nhl what do you kind of go back and look at that point of your career and say like i learned this or i i had to go through this like was there something that you kind of take from that experience now Absolutely. I mean, when I was 18, I got drafted and I expected to make the team Dallas out of training camp. And I just always had like every goal I set up to that point, I like accomplished not to be arrogant, but it's just the way it was. And, um, and when I didn't make that team, it really, it really kind of hurt me and uh, hurt my confidence for a long time. And, um, you know, I think now I, I still have huge goals and I expect myself to accomplish those things, but it also, you know, you got to enjoy life too. You can't, uh, back then I, I used to, you know, just view myself as a person based on how I performed on the ice. And now I know I can, you know, still be a really good person and enjoy life without getting a shutout every single night, even though I expect that. What, what was the process like for you to 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 go from from there to here like was it was it um did you like do you do you rely on books or was there like some kind of sports psychologist or like like what what was that journey like for you to figure that out well with dallas it was a lot of like just everything like you know tons of sports psychologists and just just tons of work that it it's kind of like the uh motto like are you working hard working harder working smart and uh you know you can work hard but working smart's the better place so when i got traded to la i had an amazing person in dusty emu who was the goalie coach there and he um he kind of just solved it all for me he um he basically um he basically just taught me that what i just said about enjoying life and you know I don't have to be an amazing hockey player to enjoy life. I can just enjoy different things and um, have more realistic expectations of myself. And um, once I kind of grasped that concept, I really started to take off. And, you know, I was having fun on the ice again. You know, it's not fun going into a game when you only accept yourself to get a shutout. And, you know, like if the second you give up a goal, you, uh, you know, you're completely um sick of yourself i guess that's how i used to be so i mean he basically just taught me go out have fun compete stop the puck and uh and that's what i did and and then i ended up having a lot more fun and a lot more success well so had you found jack that like it was starting to affect like your personality like you were not maybe the same person like it was i would have to imagine it would make you more irritable and frustrated? Like, did you find that your personality was shifting in those years before you got to LA? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it went on for a very long time and, um, you know, I'm comfortable talking about it now because maybe it can help somebody else and take them a lot less time to figure it out as it did for me. Um, you know, it just, it's fun to enjoy life and, and to, uh, you know, not just fake it, you know, fake it to make it with like a smile, like actually being in the moment and being happy. And, uh, you know, it, it was definitely some dark times and, you know, it wasn't very fun. And my parents kind of realized it too. You know, they, they saw I wasn't having a lot of fun and being happy. And, you know, once I got to LA, Dusty really, really truly made such a big impact for me. And, um, and I can't like, can't thank him enough because life's great now. It's it's so much fun, and I'm enjoying being a hockey player and uh, playing for the Leafs. It's just the cherry on top. I'm curious, Jack. Um, do you look around the league, or you know, there's been a number of goalies who kind of became number one guys or, or starters later in their career. Do you do you take inspiration from anybody around the league that that stands out to you that that's followed that path? Uh, to be honest, uh, I don't really have a. a individual that I can point to but I mean I for me it's just I expect myself to accomplish some goals and being a number one guy is definitely a goal and it's always been my goal um and not just being a number one but a a top end number one and um I know you gotta 
accomplish each one first before you can, you know, skip, skip the line on those goals. But, uh, I just, you know, I know everybody's different. That's the biggest thing is, um, you know, everybody has a different journey and, uh, it doesn't really matter what your journey is as long as you can reach your full potential. And that's my goal every day is just to, uh, work as hard as I can. So I reach my full potential and help the team win. Well, in light of that, like Jack, what's it like when you're, I don't know, developing kind of a relationship with, with someone like Frederick Anderson, you knew Jonathan quick, obviously for a while in LA, I remember yeah. there was at one point you went to the awards, I think, with him as like his caddy. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So with Quickie, um, he and I had a such a great relationship, still do to this day. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have him. And kind of my when I first got my real shot in the NHL, he was my the guy I got to play with. So I'm pretty, pretty fortunate and learned so much from him. And, you know, not just at the rink and as a goalie partner, but like we were really tight off the ice too and kind of had similar interests and stuff so he decided to ask me to uh to go to the awards for his Jennings trophy and uh, I was talking to one of my teammates Derek Forbert actually and he he's like you should dress up like the backup goalie on the red carpet hmm. so like I'm like good idea like I'll do that just uh Quickie's a pretty intense guy and uh I think he he had a really good time just being relaxed and we had a pretty good laugh about it so it's something i'll remember forever well seeing as 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 quick is is kind of like more serious and frederick anderson's quieter um Mm -hmm. what's it been like like trying to develop a relationship with him and just kind of getting to know him now oh i mean freddie makes it so easy he's such a laid back and just just a really nice person i've i've heard that my whole career too not just uh now that we're teammates you know i've always heard about how Freddie's a really nice guy. And um, I was excited to, when, when they made the trade for me, I was excited just to get there to, to meet him and um, such a great demeanor about him and something that I'm, I'm just trying, hopefully it rubs off on me a little bit, just that calmness. And uh, he brings so many great elements for the team. And um, it's, it's been really fun. We we've had a lot of dinners together and it's nice to, not just have a good relationship at the rink, but actually be able to hang out away from the rink and have a great time. So we've definitely done that. I'm, I'm curious, Jack, um, before, when you first came to Toronto, was there anything that surprised you about playing for the Leafs or, or the organization or, or the team? Like, well, like what, what really um, maybe caught you off guard after the trade? Man, uh, it's crazy. I just, I mean, I obviously knew what, how historic the franchise was, but I just never expected the feeling of walking in the, uh, in the locker room for the first time, like the feeling it gave you, you know, it gave myself and the chills. And it's just like, you know, playing in the NHL is so special, but playing for the Leafs, is just like another level. And it's just like, there's a, such a standard that you want to hold for yourself and the team, just because the community is so, uh, you know, so incredible and the support and, um, you just want to give them, you know, you want, you want to win every time you're on the ice. So it's definitely an incredible feeling. And, uh, that's the biggest thing I remember is just, uh, you know, it's still, even still to this day, it hasn't gone away. You didn't grow up that far away from Toronto. Did you spend time in the city when you, when you were younger or did you know the city very well? Did you follow the Leafs at all? Like what, what was kind of your relationship with Toronto before you came, came here to play? Actually, it's it's some of my fondest uh, childhood hockey memories are from Toronto. I just remember doing the prospect tournaments um, at the Can-Am rink, I think it was. And um, any time I went to Toronto, it was like the Stanley Cup finals as far as youth hockey. Like that was like the big show. And I always, you know, rose to the occasion and just loved every second of it. And uh you always knew you were going to play the best competition. And um, I just, I remember those memories so much and so well. I still remember like saves from each game and like huh. know, goals, I, goals I gave up. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy. I, I definitely have a, Toronto has a special place in my heart from youth hockey. And now hopefully get to make some great memories here in the uh, National Hockey League. Well, so what do you do? Like you mentioned that you'd been staying in a hotel you're going to want to get like your own place and get set up here, but obviously you can't. 
how how are you kind of like game planning for when you do get to come back and like find a home and like all that stuff? Like, what do you, what are you planning? Actually, I, um, got my place today. Um, I've oh. been looking for, for, since I got there, um, for a place and, uh, back before, you know, we were locked down, I was able to kind of drive around and get familiar with the area, kind of see where I wanted to live and kind of went back and forth just because Toronto has so many amazing areas to offer what, you know, whatever you're kind of into, it definitely has. And, uh, yeah, so I found a place and really excited about it. Um, you know, I'll move in when, when it's safe to, uh, to do all that, but, um, I'm just glad I got the place I like locked down. Are you, are you looking at a nice condo or are you going to be in a house or what, what, what's your, the guys you know are split, I, I think on the team a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I was looking downtown cause it, it's obviously such an exciting city and I love food and stuff. So the restaurants, um, but I ended up, um, I'm big, like kind of rink rat. So I found a place like a mile away from, uh, uh, the Ford Performance Center. So I'm really excited about uh, my location and kind of having a little more space and um, just, you know, it'll, it, it's going to be really nice. I'm really excited about it. Well, so the good news from there is it's a quick drive downtown. Are you, you mentioned food, like, are you a foodie? Whatever that I is. I mean, I, I really enjoy cooking and I enjoy watching, you know, the Food Network and youtube on different um chefs and stuff but i'm not like anything crazy i don't like expect to you know when i cook i don't make easy luxurious meals i just you know enjoy some meat and potatoes kind of thing but uh yeah i mean the restaurants are great downtown for sure but when you're on the road like so one of the guys that, that we travel with sean mckenzie who works for sportsnet he like yep. scopes out restaurants for us to go to like weeks in advance like are you doing that? Is anybody doing that? Like, is, is, does that happen? Wow. I mean, that's, that's pretty next level, but I'm, <laughs> I'm very impressed, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who will go on like Yelp and, you know, review it and then get excited and I'll try it. But, uh, you know, weeks ahead, I, I usually don't plan too much like that. I'm more go with the flow, but, um, you know, I'll definitely keep it in mind. <laughs> Jack, another question I had about the leaps. I was just wondering um, what your what your impression was of the coaching staff of working with Sheldon Keefe, uh, goaltending coaches, um, assistant coaches. What, what what have you taken away so far in your time with the team with them? Uh, yeah, good question. There, I really enjoy them. I mean, um, just it's it's fun to kind of go to a different um, structure as far as the coaching staff goes. With uh, it kind of like fresh like freshens you up like something different and uh, you know Sheldon he he brings like a lot of energy and passion and uh, the way we play is really exciting and I really enjoy you know his meetings things like that um, the assistant coaches are awesome I, I really enjoy all of them and actually uh, Axtall he he sounds so much like Matt Green um, who <laughs> Greener was in LA and so whenever I talk with them, it's like I'm talking to Greener, and Greener's one of my favorites. So it's always kind of fun. And then I'm pretty fortunate to have uh, Steve Breer as the goalie coach because I know Freddie and I both um, really benefit from having him. He, he's just so knowledgeable and um, personable, too. And we have a great time. He brings a great demeanor and energy and uh, super positive guy and um, a lot of attention um, for Freddie and I both. So it's been great. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Jack, was growing up in, in Port Huron in Michigan, how did you get into to hockey and being a goaltender? Did it run in your family? And maybe you can just talk a little bit about your hometown and, and first getting into hockey and, and why you gravitated towards being a goalie. Yeah, good question. I uh, love my hometown, Port Huron. It's great. It's uh, super close, too, to Toronto, so I'm really excited to be able to get home more. Um, my cousin, he's uh, his name's Marshall Campbell. Um, he was a phenomenal athlete. He played college football at Michigan State. Um, he was All-State in football, baseball, and hockey um, in high school, and so he was a goalie, actually, but he chose to play football in college. So he was always my hero. He's 10 years older than me, and uh, I, I've always idolized him. And 
just a phenomenal guy and athlete. So that's kind of why I chose being a goalie because I wanted to be like him. And uh, yeah, I kind of just started started playing and fell in love with it. And um, you know, I always loved other sports too, but I decided to uh, pursue hockey at a pretty early age. It's funny how those things work out, eh? Like just your cousin is your idol, so you end up kind of following him. And now like look at your life. Like it's it's funny how it all kind of takes shape, eh? It is. It is. And, uh, you know, pretty fortunate to like have somebody like him and kind of pave the way. And uh, now it allows me to, to really enjoy life and have a great opportunity here. It's cool. All right. Well, Jack, uh we appreciate you taking some time. We hope you stay safe and we hope we get to kind of start seeing some games uh, again soon when everything is safe and ready for us to, to come back. So thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a blast and uh, appreciate you making me the second leaf on the show. It's awesome. <laughs> Pierre yep. Engvall, number one. No way. What a guy. I love that guy. He's hilarious. <laughs> do, you, do you have a quick Pierre Engvall story you can tell us before you go? Oh yeah. oh yeah. For my short time, I actually, it's so funny. So, um, I've actually never minded plane turbulence until like this past season, just something happened where like, I think we were coming back to LA one time and the turbulence was just terrible and, uh, it really freaked me out. So in Toronto, we were coming back from, I don't know, it was a short flight, but Pierre sits right in front of me and, uh, and like, we were basically just looking, he was looking back at me and I was looking at him the whole time because we were just freaking out about the turbulence. And um, <laughs> man, we, we always have a pretty good chuckle. We like joke around about like, uh, I don't know, just being scared, but he's a great guy. He's got a great sense of humor and uh, he's a extremely good player. So lucky to have him on, on the squad. Awesome. All right. Well, Jack, uh, enjoy Cali. Enjoy the sunshine. And uh, we'll see you again soon, we hope. Thanks for you coming on, Jack. See you guys soon. Thanks for having me. All right, James, that was Jack Campbell. Man, he's a, you can tell why he made himself so popular with his teammates so quickly, eh? Yeah. I mean, he's not just one of the nicest players I've ever talked to. He's like one of the nicest people I think I've ever talked to. So it's, uh, you know, it's people try and generalize and say something about professional athletes or about NHL players, they're all spoiled or whatever, whatever, whatever. There's a, I think, I think the thing that, that I've realized in this business and then I think fans should realize is that everybody's, they're, they're just like people in any other walk of life, right? Like everybody's different. Everyone's got a different uh, take on life. And Jack Campbell's outlook is, I wish I could bottle some of that. And when you're having one of your low days, <laughs> you could just, you could, <laughs> you could take some of it on, but yeah, no, it's, um, and it's, his kind of journey is really interesting too, where he talks about how hard on himself he was and how down he got, because you would never know any of that when you, when you talk to the guy. And I mean, maybe he's, maybe it's been a journey for him to get to the place he's at now. It's, it certainly sounds like it has, but, um, that kind of positivity, especially in a role like a backup where sometimes you can go a little while without playing, it's, it's really, really important. Like you and I both know Jamie McLennan and the career he had. And there's lots of examples of what about Jim Ralph or there's lots of examples of, of guys that were backup goalies that, that have that kind of personality. And he certainly seems perfect for it, even though his ultimate aspiration obviously is to be a number one. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting part of uh, the conversation that that is still his goal. And obviously that is something that you and I wrote about on not exactly, but we wrote about the future of Frederick Anderson and there's a world where like Jack Campbell plays really well next year that maybe Anderson doesn't come back. Like he may not come back before that for whatever the 2020, 21 season looks like, but it's not impossible that, that he still rounds out and becomes a number one. Like maybe a top end number one is, is, is reaching, but it it's, it's still possible that he kind of reaches the goals that he set from himself. If not, maybe the potential with going 11th overall. Well, and I'm, I mean, I was thinking of someone like Craig Anderson, who was, you know, a, a backup yeah. and was in the minors for a long, like, I don't think he was a regular starter till he was like 29 or 30 years old. So, or, there, you know, who I thought when you mentioned that James, uh, Tim Thomas, obviously he's extreme, but there's lots of stories of guys like that. Like there's, you know, it's, um, I think Darcy Kemper was a bit older. I, I mm -hmm. gotta make, I, I, um, 
So Campbell's got the two-year deal at 1.65. I think potentially what you could see happen, and obviously we're projecting here because he's only played six games for the Leafs and who knows, but if, if, if Campbell plays well, I could see them maybe moving into more of a tandem role and auditioning some different people. You know, maybe he's not a clear-cut number one. Maybe he's a 1B. Uh, and they, you know, they balk at, at, at paying Anderson five or six million dollars a year into his 30s and and and, and audition some different goalies. I mean, I'd, we've seen teams around the league have success with kind of the tandem route and with two goaltenders. And I think with how volatile the position is and how unpredictable it is, it's not the worst way to go. And it could also be a position where they could save a little bit of money potentially. So it's um, he Jack Campbell's an important player for them, not just you know, when the season comes back, but obviously in the future. Well, so going back to that, that story that you and I wrote together, if, if people haven't read it, read it, uh, you can go to the athletic.com, uh, and find it. Um, and the athletic.com slash leaf report, you can get a deal if you're not subscribed. But one thing that that conversation with you helped clarify for me is that next season, regardless uh, if Anderson comes back, actually, I'm supposing that he comes back. I think the right approach is to do what Boston did and split the games more evenly between Anderson and Campbell. Anderson will still be like Tuka Rask, like your number one, the guy who's going to start in the playoffs, but build it into the season and the schedule that that's the way you're going to do it. And obviously yeah. Jack Campbell has to play well, but I kind of think that big picture, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's like like Babcock always said. This is something I always agreed with him. It's like you can plan it however you want, but if you get off to a yeah. slow start the way they did this year, then all of a sudden you're going to want to lean on on your better goaltender. And if Campbell plays as well as Anderson, then that makes the decision easy. But if there's a clear difference between the two, the way there was with Anderson and Sparks and Anderson and, and Hutchinson, and then you get in a situation where let's say you go two and five to start the year you're going to be trying to catch that up pretty quickly and and the plans can go out the window pretty fast. So, um, but I agree with you. I mean, if, if, if Campbell plays well and they can get him into 30 games, I mean, he played 31 games for the Kings last year and had a nine twenty eight save percentage. If they can get that, it'd be a huge upgrade over what they've had the last couple of years in the backup position. Yeah. And, and we've, you and I have thought for a while that they've kind of overlooked that position a little bit. And obviously Jack Campbell potentially changes that. Um, it, like it's, it's really interesting actually, when you think about the way things played out, that it ended up working out in a way that would be ideal potentially. Like we still don't know what Jack Campbell will do as a leaf, but it's funny how it kind of got to a place where they ended up getting their backup goalie, not just for this year, but for next year under contract, actually uh, two more years yeah, it's under years contract. Ago. Like you really secure the position. It just kind of came in a very funny way in that like that game in New York happens. Michael Hutchinson does not play well. And like literally as the game is happening and the game is finishing up, they make that trade. Like, do you know what well, I'm trying to say? Like it's, I wonder it's how long they had been pursuing Campbell though. Like I wonder if those conversations went back a while and, Maybe yeah. it took LA falling further out of the race, or maybe it took the Leafs getting a little bit more "quote unquote" desperate to like try and make the deal, or you know, maybe they had to wait to to get Clifford included. I don't know. I mean, but I mean, in an ideal world, the Leafs would have acquired Campbell earlier in the season and and mm-hmm. and, and and not had the continued struggles at backup goal. But it wouldn't surprise me. Like I think it was November when I wrote the story with like here's ten potential candidates for them to have as a backup goalie, and Campbell was on that list and. Uh, I, I'm sure the Leafs, you know, were looking at their options at that point, just with how poor the start had been for for Hutchinson. So sometimes with yeah. trades, it's 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 hard to get the deal done that you want when you want to get it done. Yeah, well, and and LA had signed Cliff, or Clifford Campbell to that extension in September, so like clearly they wanted him to be in their picture. Um, that's what's tough. Like when you go back, like I last week went back and kind of looked at the last year for Kyle Dubas. And that's one of the things that's difficult is we know only what we can see from the outside. So like, it's, it's easy for me to sit on the outside and be like, they, why aren't you getting a backup goalie? Like clearly this is a big problem, but maybe, I don't know, behind the scenes, a team like LA, the, the team you want to make the trade with, they're not budging. That's like the part of this that makes it sometimes difficult. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, a lot of people wanted, 
the Leafs to get Georgiev from uh, the Rangers, but the Rangers were asking for so much that like you don't want to get locked onto a guy and say we've we've got to we've got to get this guy, and then the other team asks for something. You know, you know, it sounded like what they were asking for was ridiculous. You don't yeah. want to get locked on and then give up too much for that player. Like we we've seen that happen in the past with the Leafs and some of the deals that they've, you know. It, uh, one example I can think of is when uh, Brian Burke traded for Phil Kessel and he got locked on him. He's like, I want this guy. This is the guy I want. And then you yeah. ended up giving up too much for him. You know, when you could have offer sheeted him and given a, given him up less, um, it, it causes problems when you, when you overreach like that on, on, on deals because, you know, other teams aren't stupid. I mean, they can, they can tell when they've got you where they want you and they're going to ask for as much as they can get. And, I've talked about this before, but it's one of the things I've learned playing uh, the uh, franchise mode on NHL 20. (laughs) It's much harder to make trades than you think because there's someone on the other side, even if it's a computer person, and they don't want to make the trade you want to make. So you got to find a way to convince them to do it. And sometimes you end up in a position where it's like, I really, really want that guy and you give up too much. And you're like, man, I gave up a lot for Brandon Saad or or whatever. You know, that's that's just a, a hypothetical. Yeah, the difficult part of that is like if you're a ship and like you've got a hole and you're starting to sink, mm-hmm. you, you can't be really like you. You kind of just got to do something, and it it seemed like it was it was too long. Like it it could still theoretically like cost them their season. I don't think it will, um, but like he was having that much damage, especially when Anderson was out. Um, but Campbell's interesting. Like it, it's an interesting. Uh, acquisition for the Leafs and it's kind of one of those things that we see from Kyle Dubas where he's always kind of got his eye on the future like he's not just trying to solve the problem of today he's trying to solve the problem of tomorrow yeah and I don't think that gets talked about enough I mean maybe it's not like a super sexy thing to talk about when you talk about team building and but you know we've got an interesting piece coming uh is it coming out I think it's coming out on Thursday and it's kind of comparing Lou Lamorello and and Kyle Dubas and the the athletics doing this um, d- doing this uh, series uh, around the whole company that talks about what if and the what if that you and I looked at I'm sure we'll talk about it more when the piece comes out the what if you uh, you and I looked at it was what if Kyle Dubas left and went to Colorado or somewhere else and Lou Lamarello was still the Leafs GM how would the roster be different how would the decision making be different and and I think that that really strong look at at the future and what the roster is going to look like for multiple years in advance is something you can see with a lot of things that, that Kyle Dubas is doing. Uh, it's not to say that they're all necessarily the right moves or that they're all going to work out, but you can at least see the process in mind of, you know, not just sacrificing two or three years from now for, for the deal you get done today. And um, yeah, Campbell's a good example of that because they could have just went and found some UFA goalie and, yep. you know, n- not Nine wanted more. to, you know, they they really I mean with Campbell they committed to him because mm-hmm. while it's easy to say he's only making one point six five or whatever if he can't play it, that's a hard contract to put in the minors because it's going to eat some of your cap space so you know mm-hmm. they they've he's he's part of your team for another two years after this so they 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 made more of an investment in that position than I thought they were going to well and I think that is one of the interesting things about Kyle Dubas that I do respect like we've we see with general managers it's Sometimes you can see when a general manager is doing uh, or doing things to keep their job. And so maybe that's just like, I don't think this is a perfect comparison because I don't think that's what he was trying to do. But like Lamorello trades second round pick, second round pick, Brian Boyle, Thomas Vukanich. Whereas, and that's not a matter of him saving his job, but it's the kind of trade where you're, you're trying to solve today and fuck tomorrow. And this, like what we've seen consistently with Dubas is is he's really concerned about I don't want to like screw things up down the road and the the risk with that is like your job is on the line like that's something he talked about after the the Babcock firing is that his strategy is kind of on the line but we haven't seen a lot of situations where he's tried to like rush things to try to make sure like job security does that make sense like to preserve his his role it's it's it always seems to be about like i'm trying to build this into a long-term contender and that might come at the cost of like some things in the short term well I and mean, you see it all around the league and we've seen it in toronto in the past with you know making those kind of moves to try and save your job and trading first round picks and 
Although, I mean, Kyle Dubas has traded first round picks, but the circumstances were kind of extenuating. But, you know, when they do trade a first round pick, it's for a really good player like Jake Muzzin, who they intend on signing and who they have re-signed and who's going to be part of the, you know, the program mm-hmm. for a long period of time. Um, but you look around the league and there's, there's, there's that kind of uh, cover your ass, save my job. We got to get into the playoffs. I mean, the, the John Ferguson tenure was kind of like, we got to try and get in the playoffs. We got to try and get in the playoffs. Yes. And not all of that is on John Ferguson. Part of that's on, on ownership and, and, and management telling him you need to make the playoffs to save your job. Like that's not a good way to operate as a franchise. And, um, I no, you're right. I mean, I, I don't think that that is the way that, that the current Leafs operation runs. Um, I mean, part of it could be, I mean, it's, Part of it is that it's really early in Kyle Dubas's tenure, and I mean, obviously, he's not feeling the heat in terms of losing his job. So, it's easier to not make moves to try and save your job if your job's not in jeopardy. Yeah. But it seems to be. I, I just wonder if some of the things that they've done are going to pay off two or three years from now, and we're going to say it's a good thing that they were thinking ahead, um, where you don't necessarily get credit for that right now. Yeah, well, like a good example of that is is the Kadri trade. Um, I yeah. still don't – I thought it was like a, a – I liked the idea of it when it happened. But the problem is for this year and for next year, I, w- I think, um, Kadri's still better than Kerfoot. But there's a world where two or three years from now, Kerfoot has morphed into like this 20-goal scorer, 50-point guy, good two-way center, power play, penalty kill, can play some wing, like can do a lot of different things for you that we're not seeing right now. And that changes – a little bit the complexion of the trade. Well, Kadri didn't have a great year in Colorado either. I mean, it doesn't get talked about a lot. I think you got to be careful. Like, I wonder if some of what the media and the Leafs fans are thinking of is Kadri of two or three years ago, and he's not he, he's not going to be that forever, right? So that's part of what we talk about with forward linking, looking is that if Kadri's going to decline and then he's going to be a UFA and he's going to get a bigger contract and does it make sense to hang on to him for all of those remaining years or, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what, I mean, the, the Kadri trade wasn't just Kadri for Kerfoot. It was Kadri for Kerfoot plus a million dollars in cap space plus Tyson Berry for a year. There, there were some other pieces involved in that. And depending mm-hmm. on what, what Kerfoot becomes, you're right. I mean, we could look at that much different. And depending on how Kadri ages and the impact that he makes in the next couple of years, I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I know some of the analytics people say that Kerfoot right now had a better season than Kadri did. So, yeah, I, I don't totally buy some of that stuff. Like the way Kadri's used versus the way Kerfoot's used is different. His like teammates was playing with, yeah, yeah, he was playing with Neilander and Tavares. Like I, I don't totally buy that, and I still look back on that trade and, and think that they probably should have just kept Kadri if they couldn't get the trade they wanted. But one thing that we haven't talked about, we've talked about that that trade a lot on the podcast and I, we will continue to as it evolves. But uh, Jonas, before we move on, we got to talk about our sponsor uh, at manscaped.com. So I got a little, uh, I got a little something for you here. If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving, thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. This is the perfect package for your perfect package. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented, high-performance, anti-chafing, Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. You wrote um, not that long ago uh, about Zach Hyman, who could be signed to an extension, in theory, on July 1st. Uh, If people haven't read that, go back and check it out. It's a really good story. Or whenever the new July 1st is, August 1st. Whenever the new July 1st is, exactly. What what conclusions, like working through that in your mind, going through some of the numbers, what conclusion did you come to? I know from having read the story, but I wondered if beyond what you wrote, if it it clarified anything about what to do with someone like him, because he's such a unique player. Honestly, like... 
I think that Zach Hyman wants to be a Leaf so badly, perhaps more than anyone on the team. And he's from here. And I just think that the way that he's wired is that I'm not saying the Leafs need to, quote unquote, take advantage of him. But I just think I wonder if there could be a more creative solution that you can come to with someone like Hyman. And I wonder if they should get the deal done sooner rather than later, because if he continues, you know, if he goes into next year, and he has another huge season, he's going to have a lot more negotiating leverage to get an even bigger contract. And if you look at his comparables around the league, uh, given what he's done in his career, there there aren't that many, just because of his age and how few games he's played at his age. And he did all four years of college, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the comparables that are there put him in the range of around four and a half million a year on a long-term deal. So four or five, six-year deal. Um you know, the conclusion I came to is I wonder if there's a way that you could lock Hyman in really long term and bring the cap hit down a little bit. And, you know, maybe you give him a no trade clause or no move clause and you just really I to me, like I think Zach Hyman should be a core piece of this team. I think that he should be on the roster hmm. for for a long period of time. I think that he's going to age well just knowing his kind of work habits and and all those kinds of things and looking at how he's come back from from the knee surgery that he had and everything um you know he's talked with me about you know all the research he did in terms of the knee injury and um talking to players that had that injury and reading about players that had that injury and ways that you can come back even stronger from from that injury that's the kind of player that you want to make a bet on and commit to so you know what i settled on was if you can get a six or a seven-year deal done with Zach Hyman, where the cap hit comes down to around four million, I would do that. I wouldn't have any any qualms about doing that because if he goes on the open market, he, he's got a legitimate case for more money than that. You know, if if Pajot is getting five million for six years, and there's lots of examples of players with Hyman's production this year at his age going to unrestricted free agency and getting a lot of money, um, I know that there was kind of this idea that, that Hyman wasn't skilled enough or whatever, but I think that he's, he's put those to rest. And I think that you got to look at him as a core piece and you got to be creative about how potentially you get him re-signed. Well, so a few things on that one, he's, he's older than you think, like he's going to be 28, uh, in June. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting to me that not that long ago, you and I were talking about him as kind of one of those guys that you replace like that. He's like the collateral damage of the cap system. Like we saw in Chicago, all those guys that they had to get rid of. And we kind of figured he would just be someone you, you replace because his production wouldn't make it worth paying him. I'm curious though, like the aging curve you had in your story, um, suggested that he's going to continue to be like a, a really useful player for a while. Given like the style of game he plays though, would any part of you be worried that by the time he's 31 with all that physicality he plays with, he can't be as effective just because he'll have put his body through so much at that point? Maybe. I mean, he's not like he's Wendell Clark. It's not like he's, he's not blowing guys up and and getting in fights. And I mean, I think that's, he hasn't been injured very much. I think, you know, when I talked to him, I think no. he said he he really hasn't had a lot of serious injuries. Like that was the first time he's been out like that for a long, I'm trying to look back at his career here. Yeah. Like he yeah. hasn't. 82, 82, college, 71. Junior, college, uh, minors. I mean, he didn't really miss, he didn't really miss long stretches of games ever. So, you know, he's. I don't know. I mean, I think with those kind of things, with the injury concerns, I think the Leafs are better equipped to, to handle those than most teams because they can either long-term injured reserve those guys, they can heavily front load the contract and that makes it easier to trade in the back half if he's less effective. Um, yeah. I just think that they, they've got, it's the same thing with Muzzin. They've got more options and maybe you don't want to put in the no trade protection and the no move clauses and that just to give you some flexibility. But I feel like, like I said, I feel like I would commit to Zach Hyman long-term if the cap hit comes down. Because the the problem is if you don't do that, Jonas, it's going to be hard to fit. You can't give everybody raises yeah. on this team. There's just no money. Mm-hmm. There's no money to give. You know, So even if you give – Hyman's making 225. Even if you give him a $2 million raise to 425, where's that $2 million coming from? Especially in an environment where the cap's not going up right now. There's 
there's nowhere to find it. You know, you're going to have to, if the cap is flat for three or four years, anyone that gets a raise means someone else is going to have to go. So they got to be really careful with that. That's why I was trying to get creative with keeping Zach Hyman because I think they're going to have to. Well, it could just be a world like you and I, you did a really good piece on kind of the cap situations. We discussed it a bit last week, I think, of all the different teams throughout the league. And you've concluded, we've concluded that they're going to have to move a forward. They're going to have to clear some space or two in the off season and maybe two forwards. But maybe it's a point where um, to keep Hyman, like even if it's not this off season, you're just going to have to move. Like, let's say you move Kapanen this off season, you get back a defenseman, then you trade another guy and clear off some more room. I think to keep Hyman, you probably have to move another guy. Like it, maybe that's what it comes down to. Well, maybe, I mean, that could be where Anderson's not back. And then the goalie that you bring in is only making three, five, or I don't know. Like they're, yeah. they're going to have to, or yeah, like the defenseman you acquire in a cabinet trade is only here for one year. And then Sandine's ready and, or whatever, you know, like, or there's mm-hmm. some, some other young guys that are ready to, to step up and there's going to be a constant dance around the core that they've got. But I just think if you can, it, it, I mean, Hyman's playing essentially on your first line. He's a yep. really good facilitator for first line players. If you got a first line player that you can get on a cap hit for four million dollars, and and who you know fills the leadership and all these other roles on the team, I would think uh, I'd be willing to sacrifice something else to make that happen. Well, and the fact that he's become, I don't think you can pencil him in for twenty goals every year. But he's not a nothing threat anymore offensively. Like I think 15 to 20 is probably like a reasonable expectation year after year. His skills handling the puck have kind of improved. He's he's more like he's just grown. Like he's become so I much mean, more than that don't first guy. 21 goals in 51 games. Like, uh, you know, like I think he can be more than people think. You know, I mean, he's. He's a guy who he had twenty goals last year too. So I, I th- yeah, I and the shooting he, percentage James is always going to be a bit higher just because of how oh. he sh- like where he's shooting from. He shoots from closer to the goal than pretty much everyone in the NHL. I mean, do you remember after yeah. his first year, I put together that list, and it was like him and Connor McDavid who shoot from closest to the net. And Connor McDavid's because he's on breakaways and he's tapping it in from the goal line or whatever. But that's not what Zach Hyman's doing. So I don't know. I just. Like, I'm willing to sacrifice some other pieces in order to try and keep Zach Hyman within reason. Now, if he wants to make $5 million or $5.5 million, another team would be justified in paying him that, and he can go do that. But the Leafs aren't going to be able to pay him that. So it'll be um, – there's going to be need to be some element of a hometown discount there. Yeah, and I think you're right that, that he's obviously inclined to want to stay. Um, one more thing before uh, we finish. This has been a fun podcast. Um, I wrote about some of the, the free agent defensemen uh, who might be available whenever the hell the offseason is. The, the conclusion I came to is, A, it's going to be they're going to have to figure out how to clear space and still get something from clearing that space. Like you don't want to just give away, guys. Like they got to figure out how to get some future stuff. And I think they but can. There's no, there, and I think they can, sure, yeah. Um, but there aren't that many guys who kind of fit it for me. The guys who stood out, obviously, Petrangelo's a very unique case just because of how much he's going to cost. Good luck but fitting I, that I, I like some <laughs> – what's that? Good luck fitting Petrangelo in on, on the Leafs cap. Like, Yeah, I don't know how you do it. You'd have to do a lot. Um, but someone like Brody, to me, kind of makes a lot of sense. W- mm-hmm. Where do you kind of stand on some of those guys? Brody's health, he, he had the – he had like a seizure on the ice or something this year. And yeah, I would be a little bit concerned just in terms of, you know, there's some talk in Calgary that he's declined in, in his age. And you got to be careful with kind of all the players that we're looking at in the UFA bucket just because of they're older and you don't want to commit too many years. And I wonder if the Leafs have to wait out free agency a little bit and kind of get the guy that's left or the secondary choice, or maybe you go in with five or six guys that you like and whoever's there on day two, you're making an offer that's less than they expected. And there's going to be some, some value to be had in free agency this year, just because of what's happening with the cap and how many teams are close to it. And so 
I don't know necessarily that the Leafs will get their first choice, but I thought your list was really interesting. I mean, you got Dustin Bufflin on there. Who knows if he comes back and plays? Chris Tanev could be someone that you could who's from here who you could potentially get um, for not a lot of money. Uh, Travis Hamanick is is an interesting name. You know, there's they're gonna have they're gonna have some options. I don't. Justin Schultz is interesting, but I don't think he's. I think he's probably going to price himself out of of what Toronto can afford. Um, but I do think that looking at all the pieces the Leafs have in play, I do think that they're going to be able to bring in another defenseman. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just it's going to be kind of like a game of musical chairs. Like you know, you and I were talking yesterday about they they bring in Miko Letton and the 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 Finnish defenseman who was playing in the KHL last year. Mm-hmm. There's not enough spots for everybody, so if they're going to go sign someone in UFA as well, uh, someone's going to have to going to have to make move to make room. And the other thing is they got so many left shots and so many guys that that are better on the left side. Something's got to give in terms of they they need somebody to play on the right side. You can't you can't just have six left side defensemen and one one right side defenseman and and Hall plays all of those minutes. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. That's why I still think that they're going to look in free agency and try and find something that makes sense on the right side. Well, and, that, and that's why I think the just winning him, like people say this guy is like the best defenseman outside the NHL. We'll see. Um, but like the, the thought is that he can come in and play. And I just like that that gives you a little bit more room to play with if you want to move somebody else. Um, but I, I'm really curious to see what the offseason ends up looking like just because of how screwed up this year has been. Like if it's going to be like this very brief window where there's an off season, there's free agency, yep. it's possible like you could just get someone on a really good contract just because everything is so screwed up. Yeah. And I think that the Leafs are going to be, I know that the Leafs are thinking about free agency that way and they feel like they can potentially, that's how they can fill some of their roster spots. So what potentially you could see happen is maybe they trade more than one forward to clear cap space, and then they're more active in free agency than you expect because they've cleared cap space, which allows them to do so. I mean, I, I think that there could be more pieces moving here when free agency, uh, whenever it opens up, uh, than, than, than people are expecting. So I mean, part of it's going to be, you know, do they come back and do they play the regular season? Do they play the playoffs? How do the Leafs do? How do they look? Can you draw slightly different conclusions if if they do perform really well in the playoffs. Um, there's still some unanswered things before we start talking about what next year's roster looks like. All right. I think you've you've hit it perfectly. Um, I hit it out of the park. Yeah, like you've summed it up exactly as I think it should. Uh, anything else you, you want to talk about before uh, we wrap up? Um, I don't know. I, I haven't talked to you very much. What's new with you? What's What's new in your life? Hmm... Let's see. Well, Normally I started watching season, The we, Wire. We see each other every day. Oh, you're watching... Have you not seen The Wire? No, never watched it. Wow. So you're just... You know what the thing talk- was with The Wire is... Um, it's funny how, like, technology has changed the world. I remember, like, I don't know, 10 years ago wanting to watch it. And the only way you could really watch it... I didn't have HBO. And, and they're not showing all the episodes all the time. So the only way you could watch a show like that is if you bought all the episodes. There were lots of shows like that. Or you do the Sopranos or you do something or you do something illegal, then you can watch it. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to do that. Um, so it's, it's nice nowadays that you can kind of just, if you want to watch the wire or the Sopranos or whatever, you can just watch the whole thing. So that's how far, how how far into it are you? I just started the second season and, uh, it takes, it took a little while to get going, but the acting is just like, and the stories are, it's so interesting. Good, man. It's, it's yeah. I, I think that's the best show ever made. To be honest, like it's it's um just the level of depth that's in that show. It, it made me really think differently about how like a city operates and how the police operate and like, and each season is kind of like a different. Uh, it's it's almost like a different part of of the city that you learn about. <clears throat> and it's interesting, you know, Simon the 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 guy that that created it. Um, he um he was a journalist for a long time and. I believe he covered like courts and kind of municipal affairs. And he just learned so much about how a city operates that he built this world based on what he learned. And it, it's fantastic. The acting is so good. Um, the, the, the plots are good. Like it's, and it, you're right. It's, it's, 
I found it really dense and hard to get into the first couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it and being like, what the hell are they saying and what's going on? And like, but once you f- figure that part of it out, it's, it's a really, really incredible show. So it's, um, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that you haven't seen that. I need, I need a <laughs> show to dig into that. I'm really like, I started watching, I've been watching with my wife. We've been watching uh curb your enthusiasm, been watching Shit's Creek, but I think we need, we need something that's like a bit more meaty. Like we need something that's like, you know, like Kirby Your Enthusiasm is good if you, I don't know, like we need something with some more substance to it than just like Larry David having these like goofy encounters all the time. So I, I want to mix in like, uh, I don't know what you would recommend, like a, a show that's got some uh, some more depth to it. Some people like are talking about Ozark. Some people are talking about Homeland. Is there is there a show that, that, that you really like, like an all-timer show that you really like that's that's along those lines? So we just finished Homeland and it goes it goes off the rails a little bit in the middle, but it kind of comes <laughs> back. What's that? I'm just laughing. I like Claire Danes. Home- Claire Danes. Is yeah, good. Homeland's good. Homeland is is worth a watch. You'll have to like stick with it. Um, the Crown is 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 interesting if you're you're into that. I I didn't love your opinion about Breaking Bad. I think to me Breaking Bad's the best show that I've ever seen. Ozark's really good. Ozark's worth watching. Um, See, like to me, so my opinion on Breaking Bad, just to be clear, is I think it's a little bit overrated. Like I think Breaking Bad's like an eight out of ten for me, but like The Wire, Sopranos, some of those shows are like those are like tens. So like Breaking Bad is good. I enjoyed it, but it's not like high art. It's not like I don't know. Oh, Breaking I don't know t- about that. I don't even know if Breaking Bad would be in the top twenty shows for me that I've seen. Wow. Wow, I, I, like it's it's good. That's fine. I, I like, hey, it's subjective. I, I like yeah. I like Brian Cranston. I like uh, Aaron Paul. Like I, I thought there were there were like some good characters in that show, but there was also some I didn't like, and there were some cheesy episodes, and like it was. I don't. There's know. one cheesy episode. Like if you the fly the, the fly like that one was terrible. I don't I don't care what. But Do you know what you should watch, James. That's 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 a good one that you might not have seen is Killing Eve. Have you ever seen that? Never heard of that. No, I haven't seen that most shows. Like, like you know me. Like, I once I had kids, it's yeah. like I haven't seen anything. So anything in the last like six years is completely off the grid. And even before that, I mean, I was just like working a lot. So I, I haven't. There's a lot of stuff I haven't seen. So got to. Um, there's been a lot of shows that my wife and I have started, and, and like like we watched Westworld. We watched the first season, and it's like, eh, I don't know. Like the the first season was fine, but then the second season kind of dragged, and we stopped watching it. And we started watching The Americans, and we watched a couple episodes, and we're like, eh, I don't know. It seems like we get a few episodes in and we're like not committed enough. So we need something that just grabs us and it's like, we have to watch this whole thing. Give the wire does that. Give a try. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. What is it about? I don't want to give too much, okay. but All it's right. basically about um, a female assassin. Okay. It's funny. Like it's it's funny and it's serious. Like it's it's got a good mix of stuff. So who's so the I think it might uh Sandra O oh is is the detective and then the actress who plays Villanelle you've never heard of but she's outstanding. Hmm. Like she's an amazing actress. Okay. You it, it's it's a great show. I think you'll really enjoy it. And other um, people listening send us some show ideas cuz I'm I'm looking for something right now. So And an easy watch James that just came out on Netflix that I've never seen that much is Modern Family which has been um my wife a treat. loves that show. My wife loves it's that great. show. It's great. She's seen every. I've seen some of it, but yeah, like yeah. So anyway, read anything good? No, you know what? I ordered a bunch of books from Amazon. Did I tell this story? And they were stolen no. off my porch. Wow! I, or, I, I ordered a bunch of books, and they were in like a little yellow Amazon package. And I know they were on my porch because they send you a picture now of what it looks like, right? They have you seen that? Like they no. delivered, and, and there's a picture of this of these books in a package on on my front porch. And then I went out there and it has a time on it, like delivered, you know, 12.05 PM. And I went out there at like two o'clock. I was like, oh, let's get my package. And it's like, it's not here. And like, I live in pretty close to downtown Toronto and like high visibility area where my house is. And someone went on my porch and took my books. So someone, so what does Amazon is, do? They don't do anything. They're like, fuck you. Like, I don't know. Like they didn't, they didn't do anything. Like if, if the. It's up to you. So now all I'm getting all my Amazon stuff delivered to the backyard or to the, the side yard because like I can't have stuff on the porch. So I think part of what's happening, Jonas, right now is that there's a lot fewer people out and about and it's easier for people to do shady things. 
Like, I wonder if, like, there's more, like, crime happening because there's just not, not that many people around. I can say in my area, and I live right downtown, there has been stuff happening. Like, like robbery kind of stuff. Yes. Like, stuff yes. that doesn't normally happen that is freaky. Not only that, but in my neighborhood, the raccoons have gotten super bold. They're, they're like doing things they would normally never do because there's more, usually more people and cars around. But now the raccoons are – It's have you seen the movie 12 Monkeys? It's like in 12 Monkeys when <laughs> no. the, vir- the virus forced everyone underground and then the animals took over the above ground. That's what's happening here. We're wow. living in 12 Monkeys. I will have to go watch that movie. You haven't seen that? Oh, man. No. That's like – that's it's so good. You got to see it. And it's not, it's not like, uh, well, it's kind of dystopian, but it's not like, I don't think it's depressing. I think it's, it's just like really good sci-fi, but it's, it's alarmingly kind of like what's happening here. So. All right. That sounds good. I'll, I'll, I think that's on Netflix. So maybe I'll fire that one up. I don't. All right. So next week, uh, I think we'll have another guest. Another We've got some brewing. No, I don't think so, but we've got. We got things in the works, so uh, we'll be back next week. It's amazing that we've kept this up every week when there's no games. Don't you remember when it was the lockout and we did the podcast every week? That, that's what I always remind myself. When we started this podcast, it was during the lockout, and we used to go to that studio downtown and record it every time, and just like, and I, it 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 was actually fun. Like I it, I don't remember it feeling hard. I thought it was really good to kind of talk through things we were thinking about, and so anyway. What the hell did we talk about? <laughs> I don't know. No one go back and listen to those shows because there were oh like a hundred. There were like a hundred people listening back then. So it's 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 pretty neat that eight years later we're still doing it and the audience is much much bigger. All right, so we will be back next week. Um, James, continue to stay safe, stay well, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>